If you're considering a career in medicine, this show is for you. I'm going to be talking to a variety of healthcare professionals who are going to share the reality of what it takes to have a successful career in medicine. The good, the bad, the inspiring, the funny. My name is Michelle Nesky. I'm a physician assistant and your host about to bring you Beyond the Scope. If you've done research into applying to physician assistant school, you know how crazy it is with all the different requirements, programs out there, and how do you choose which one is best for you? Well, luckily, two of my friends and PAs created an amazing platform that you can do this all in one place called My PA Box. Research schools by state, track your hours, look up all the requirements literally in one spot at mypabox.com. You can also use their PA school match to enter in all your demographic information, your GPA, whether or not you took the GRE or PA CAT, and filter for schools that would be the best fit for you. You guys, this has been game changing for pre-PAs and I use it all the time with my clients. You can go ahead and get a one-year subscription. And because you're listening to this podcast, if you use Posh PA 15, you can get 15% off your one-year subscription. You will not regret this. If you are a pre-PA, it will sort things out so much for you and just make it easier to do the research on the programs that are the best fit for you. So check them out, mypabox.com. All right, everybody. Welcome to Beyond the Scope, my new podcast I'm so excited about. Um, My first guest here is my friend Jake Goodman, um, who, as most of you know, at Destination Med Med School on um, Instagram and on TikTok is blowing it up (laughs) over there. Um, I obviously met Jake on social media, but we both have very similar um, platforms. He's helping pre-med students and inspiring all pre-healthcare students. uh, pro, you know, professionals to get into their respective schools, um, providing tips, motivation, inspiration, similar to what I do for pre-PAs. Um, and I thought it would be great to have him on here just to hear about, you know, what it takes to get into medical school, because Jake is a fourth-year medical student now, um, also doing his MBA, hashtag overachiever. <laughs> um, and we, um, and, you know, a lot of, what I want to convey on this podcast is, you know, what the reality of getting into medical school looks like. And I'm going to have my husband on again at some point. Well, I'm going to have him on once at some point, and we'll go over that, you know, with him as well. But I think it's important for people to understand what it really takes, you know, in this process and um, what it looks like in terms of resiliency. And then we're going to talk a little bit about um, relationships, you know, in medical school. And then lastly, a little bit about COVID-19 and medical students graduating early and how we all feel about that. So, um, Jake grew up in Georgia, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love Georgia. (laughs) And from the age of five knew he wanted to be a doctor. Now that's pretty, that's pretty significant. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So actually I was born in Philadelphia and I spent the first five years up in New Jersey, uh, near Cherry Hill area. I know you're from Jersey too. Jersey. (laughs) Jersey represent, but I don't really remember it because I was like three, four years old. When I moved to Georgia when I was five, maybe six, I, um, I moved to Kennesaw, Georgia, which is like, uh, very different from New Jersey. The South is very different from the North, as you know. Uh, and yeah, I, I just always knew I had, I I was blessed to have an amazing pediatrician when I, when I came to Georgia that I had from when I was six years old to when I was past 18, I was like 20 still going to this guy. Uh, he was an amazing pediatrician and I just would go in there and think to myself, this is what I want to do when I'm older. Interesting. Now, are your parents in the medical field? No, my parents are not in the medical field. I have a few family members. My um, aunt and uncle are physical therapists and physical therapist assistant. And my, uh, Another one of my aunts is a midwife, but there are no physicians in my family. Okay. That's interesting. Cause me neither. Um, really? yeah, nobody in my family is in medicine. They're all in education or business. 
um, which made it a little bit challenging when you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And the process is just so different, you know, from, from those. And so that's interesting that you had the same, but nice that you also had a bit of a role model with your pediatrician. So that's great. Mm -hmm. I also had my best friend growing up, Will McClendon, his dad was an OBGYN. Oh, nice. Uh, And so that was my one sort of uh, connection in the medical field. He got me, I was able to shadow him. And you, once you get in on, and you're able to shadow one physician, uh, he or she can introduce you to their friends. And then all of a sudden I'm shadowing a plastic surgeon. And so that was sort of my in was that my best friend's dad was a physician and that was super helpful. And was that in high school? That was in high school. I actually shadowed him. Um, I may have shadowed him once or twice in high school, but really the bulk of my shadowing was in college actually. Okay. So you were a runner in high school. Um, did you do well in high school? Were you like a... Grades-wise? Yeah. Yeah. Um, middle school, I, I really wasn't serious about school. But once I got in high school, I realized, okay, this actually matters. And I started to pretty much my freshman year buckle down. Um, I was running cross country and track and field, uh, played lacrosse as well, swam in summer swim team. And then I was doing schoolwork. Uh, and I was really serious about grades back then because I knew the most important thing in high school and what I tell students all the time in high school, the most important thing for you right now is to just get into a good college. Yeah. So in high school, I was, you know, kind of your traditional student athlete. Sounds like that's what you were too. I was a, uh, I did basketball. I played basketball, volleyball, and I was a track um, jumper. So, uh, I did those three sports all four years, played varsity all four years, except for my freshman year in, uh, volleyball, but, um, but huge part of my life as in high school and swam in the summers, same, um, did swimming in the summers and my, I have an older sister. So, you know, a lot of the things she was doing, I would do, um, and, you know, that was kind of, she was a little older than me. So, you know, we got to do some of that together, but our parents obviously being in the education system and being in a local education system, we always had that, you know, driven into our heads. Like you guys got to do well, you got to get into a good college. You know, you don't be an idiot, like do well, you know, work hard and it will pay off. Um, and it's, there's pressure, you know, when you're in high school and, um, I will say one thing though, Um, when I was in high school, I felt like when I applied to college, I probably could have shot higher you. I mean, I did like (laughs) safety. I was the opposite. Okay. I was like, I was so, uh, it's crazy in high school. I think there were times in high school that I was more stressed than college and medical school before you get into med school, it's like this giant barrier that you, you have to break through. And so I always felt this pressure, like, uh, I have to get these A's. I have to get into med school. I have to get into college. Um, and so when I, I got really good grades in high school because I worked so hard and I thought, okay, I'm going to apply to all these colleges. I listed them all out. Duke, UNC, uh, Hopkins, you know, all <laughs> these very, very prestigious schools. And I was like, I'm, I'm definitely going to get in. Like, look at my GPA. I'm working so hard. <laughs> And like on one day I got denied by like 10, like it was, it was like letter after letter. Oh my God. That was like humbling 101. And so, uh, I don't regret applying to those schools, but it was a humbling moment. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. And then when it came right down to it, I applied to all these like physical therapy schools. And then I'm like, what if I change my mind? I don't want to be like stuck in a program. Like I, I don't, I don't, um, and so I, I applied to a lot of smaller schools, not that far from home, like far from home, but not too far. Um, and I definitely didn't apply to like the big names. And I, and I kind of should have, um, not that I would have, not that it would have changed the trajectory of my life in any way, it would not, but it, and I loved going, I went to the University of Connecticut. I, my best friends in the world are still my best friends in the world. Um, I got a great education there, but um, you know, it's just funny that when I was applying to PA school, I'm like, I'm go big or go home. I'm applying to like all of, all of 
problem, whether yeah. I had the requirements or not. Like I was like, I'm, I'm doing it. Might so well. yeah. So that's funny. Um, so you obviously went to university of Georgia for, correct. Okay for undergrad. So what you were a pre-med major. So a lot of people ask me all the time, do I need to be pre-med? Do I need to be a biology major to get into PA school or whatever? And I'm like, no, you just have to have all the requirements and you actually have to like what you're doing. If you're a biology major and you hate it, you're not going to do well. I mean, it's just bottom line. Um, So when you chose the pre-med track, did that mean like biology was your major? What was your major? Sure. So, um, like a really common misconception a lot of students ask me is, um, what's a pre-med, what's a pre-med major? And in reality, there is no such thing as a pre-med major. Yeah. Uh, you can't, you can't major in pre-med. And so what a lot of students do is they'll apply, they'll do a biology major or chemistry major, uh, because that's sort of like the beaten track that a lot of people follow to get into med school. So it's like common. Uh, I originally started off as a biology major because like many students, I thought that's what I needed to do. I was uh, in classes that I really didn't like um, and thought to myself, why am I, I don't, I'm not interested in calculus and medical schools don't even require calculus except for a handful. So why am I doing this to myself? So I actually switched majors from biology to biological sciences, which okay. sounds similar, but it's, it's pretty different actually. And biological sciences was in the College of Agriculture and Environmental Sciences <laughs> at UGA. So all of a sudden I was taking poultry science, oh my God. science, uh, nutrition, like these classes that were just a little bit different than the classic biology class. But classes. did you like it? Loved it because all of a sudden I'm in a small college where the class size is 40 instead of 300 Ah. and it changed everything. I got an awesome advisor and uh, I I don't regret that change at all. Yeah. So I went in kind of undeclared. I mean, you know, you don't have to really declare your major until your sophomore year at at Mm -hmm. UCAR. You didn't um, back back in the dark ages. Um, (laughs) But I would say, you know, I started off kind of on an allied health kind of track in my mind. Um, but it didn't really matter because in order to get into the um, either allied health school or PT program or whatever, your sophomore year, you had to take all the same prereqs like biology, chemistry, or go, you know, all those things. I was on the struggle bus because at the University of Connecticut, I'm sitting in a auditorium with 300 other students trying to learn chemistry 101. And it was a nightmare. I mean, a nightmare. So I went from high school where I was like pretty doing it. Like academically, I was doing really well and I didn't have to put all that much effort (laughs) into it. Um, And I would do well where I went to college and I'm like, what is happening? Like, I do not know anything. This class size is huge. Like, I don't know who to talk to. Um, And I feel like a lot of people have that same thing where they go from high school where they've done really well and then they go to college and they're like, what the what? In th- with this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, what is this? Um, I got a 2.8 my first semester. It was mm-hmm. not my, my best showing, but at the same time, I'm adjusting to being away from home. I'm adjusting to college level courses and having to adjust the way that I studied. I didn't, the way I studied in high school was not going to be the way I studied in college. Like, no. mm-hmm. so, um, my second semester, I actually wound up taking more credits and did better because I had so much more structure, um, but I also needed a tutor and, you know, I had to go to office hours and I had to like do all these things. And despite, you know, um, doing chemistry was just not my thing, like just not good at it. Um, I got C's in both of those, you know, classes. When I got to the upper level science, I did much better. And I think that's because I was much more interested in it. Like, I was like, this is cool. Like, this is actually something I enjoy, like I understood biochemistry. I understood, you know, whereas like with gen chem and those kinds of things, I was like, I don't know what is happening right now. Um, So I do think it makes sense that, you know, if you're in a major that you don't, you're not succeeding and you're like, I don't like this. Like, I don't like anything about it. (laughs) Then, you know, make a change. And then I decided I was a genetics major basically. So I went in, but it was a laboratory based genetics major called diagnostic genetic science. And I had a minor in molecular biology because I took so much biology. I loved biology. Like 
I loved it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just depends what you like. But once I am so with you, once I got into that allied health program, I killed it. I'm in a class of like 50, you know, much smaller class. Um, I studied all the time, but like I did well, it was just so much more in my niche, so much more what I wanted to do. And it made it so much easier. So that's interesting that you had the same experience, Mm -hmm. but also funny that you know a lot about chickens. Yeah, I do. (laughs) The, uh, one of the highest exports out of the state of Georgia is the broiler chicken. For those oh, wow. of you that are interested, the broiler chicken. Um, so a couple things to add. Um, one, I don't want to paint the picture that once I got in this, in this college, like every class was like, I was loving. There were classes that I hated. Oh yeah. And um, some classes you just have to take to get to the next level. Mm -hmm. Uh, that you never even end up using almost anything from that class. So the message I want to get across to people is that sometimes you just got to keep your head down and get through these gen chems or these physics. When as a physician, am I going to be using physics, (laughs) measuring angles and whatever else I was doing back then? A, a, A lot of these classes tend to just be, uh, classes you have to get through where they will make or break you. And sometimes you got to keep your head down and know that there is light at the end of the tunnel and you'll finally get to a class where like you'll get to anatomy and say, wow, this is what I want to learn. And the second thing I wanted to add was when you talked about tutoring, I never was tutored in my life. I always, I was a smart kid. I was never the smartest kid in the class, but I was, I was always okay in high school. And when I got to college, my first tests in gen chem and whatever math class I was taking, I got C's in both of them. I never got C in my life. All of a yeah, sudden, yeah. I was borderline. I met with my, my advisor. I remember him saying like, um, you know, med school may not be the best option for you given your grades right now. And I had a full breakdown, started crying, called my mom, uh, called my dad and said, what am I doing here? Like, I'm not smart enough to be here. Uh, I totally had that imposter yeah. uh, syndrome. And I, they kind of talked me into reaching out and getting help and getting tutoring. And I actually went to a tutoring service that was offered for free on campus. And they helped me study the correct way, use more active learning, less passive learning. And that changed the way I study. And I was able to get a good GPA that semester because I reached out for help. Yeah, that's huge actually. And, you know, I, I never needed tutoring, like hardly ever, maybe just in math because that's not my strong suit, but (laughs) never, to the point where I was like, I need, I need this, like to be able to pass this class. Like I, I'm not going to pass the class. I'm going to, you know, my GPA is going to stink. I'm not going to get into the, you know, major I want. And, um, you have to ask for help. You 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 know, sometimes you just can't do it on your own and that's okay. Like there's literally nothing wrong with that. (laughs) So, and it's what you should do, um, you know, to be able to succeed, but you, I didn't decide that I was wanted to be a PA until way later after I graduated, but you were on the pre-med track and you took the MCAT while you were in college. Correct. And it was a mess. It was a mess. There's a a belief that a lot of medical students have, or that a lot of pre-meds have, that I gotta get in med school when I'm in college. So that way I graduate, I have this amazing summer, I go to Europe, I, I have these experiences and I come back to med school on July 1st or August 1st and I start the next chapter of my life. And in reality, that is uh, one, um, not the norm anymore. And two, I believe sort of an unhealthy uh, view to have because uh, just from the stats that I've seen recently, um, about 60% of students take one or more gap years this year. I'll have to check my stats on that, but I'm pretty sure it's about, it's over half. Yeah. So I think there's this view that you have to go straight through. And when I, I shared that view because I didn't want to take a gap year. I think gap year, the the culture has changed a bit since I was in the shoes of applying, but uh, the culture of a gap year back when I was applying was almost viewed as a failure. You didn't get in, you have to take a gap year. What are you going to do in your gap year? Right. Now students say to themselves, I'm going to take a gap year. Uh, and I'm going to do this experience that I've never been able to do before and boost my MCAT score and do all these things. But back then it wasn't like that. So I tried to just drive right through. Uh, I was taking a full course load on top of uh, MCAT prep 
aspect. On top of being leadership in different clubs and organizations, I was studying like 14 hours a day, yeah. driving myself nuts in, in the library. And uh, it was the worst semester of my life. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you on the gap year. I get that question a lot from, you know, students that are like, I, you know, I think I want to go straight through. Should I take a gap year? Should I not? If you're thinking about taking a gap year, you probably should take a gap year because it means that you're not quite ready. You're going to rush to apply. You're going to, you're, you're not going to get in. Then it's going to be this whole mental, you know, breakdown. Um, However, I have worked with some college students that are so ready to go right through. Right. Mm -hmm. So it just depends. I think the gap year is like you said, so much more normal now, like forget it back when I was doing it, my parents like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, you're not going to take what, what, what are you doing? Like get a job, like get a job, (laughs) you know, get a career. (laughs) And like, meanwhile, you know, I'm taking a class at the Red Cross to be a nurse assistant with my college degree, you know? Um, And so that was just not the thinking back then, but now it's very common for people to take a gap year. And when they do take a gap year, they can enhance their application so much, but also the mental piece is huge. When you go into an application cycle prepared and ready, like I've done all the things I am ready to apply. Mm -hmm. It's such a different experience than when you're like, okay, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to do that. And then I'm going to do this and I'm going to try to apply. And then it's going to be this. And it's very stressful, but I think you're right. I think the mentality has changed quite a bit. I don't think that there's, I don't think taking a gap year is good or bad. Some people are like, is it bad to do this? Is it good? It's different for everybody. It's your, your journey. You know, I worked with two undergrads this year who were phenomenal. I'm like, who are you? And can you be my kid? (laughs) Also, can you like be the, be the person that like teaches my kid how to do this? Because it's amazing. Like you're amazing and you're ready, you -hmm. know? Um, but it really depends. And I think, you know, I, to your point, I think just being miserable and burned out and trying to apply to medical school is like a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. And while you're doing that, all of your friends that, have, yeah. that are not uh, pre-med are landing internships, landing jobs, moving to different cities, getting these offers, getting signing bonuses, sign-on bonuses. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is that? You just got like five grand in your bank account and I'm over here studying 14 hours a day for this like <laughs> this thick book that like I may or may not even do well in this test. Like it, it was mind-blowing that my friends were out here doing this and it it really messed with me. And there's just so much you have to do, write a personal statement, get all your letters of rec, crush the MCAT, still get a good GPA that semester, stay with extracurriculars, stay mentally healthy, physically healthy, stay, hang out with friends, (laughs) graduate. It's your last semester. It's, if I had to do it again, I would take a gap year on purpose and plan for it. Yeah, I think that's so true. You see all these other people graduating and they're getting jobs and money and like all this stuff. And even now that I'm in my 40s, I feel behind like from a financial standpoint because we've only been, well, I've been working, but Dave, he's only been working for five years. I'm like, it's crazy. So like um, there is that part, but you also know that like the right path for you is the right path for you. And you talk about that oh, yeah. book. I have to tell this story quickly. So I had this book mm-hmm. called The Cell. I think I still have it. It's, I'm not, it is so big. It is like obnoxiously big. I had a red cover. When I finished, I remember with my roommates, I, you know, I lived in the middle of nowhere in Connecticut. And I took this book and I threw it into the woods and I'm like, I never want to see this book again. It is awful. Like I just want it gone. For my 21st birthday, one of my roommates fished that book out of the woods and had everybody sign it. So now I must have it forever. My God, it's so funny. It's so funny. So I still have said gigantic book um, (laughs) to remind me of how far I've come at this point. But I'm glad they did it because it was really funny. But but you also deserve those times to kind of celebrate yourself and and, and move on. So you eventually, you know take time, you redo the MCAT, mm-hmm. and then you get into medical school. Um, but in between that time, you're an Uber driver. Yeah, I was an Uber driver. You had driver. to move back home with your parents. 
Yep. I, so yeah, I, uh, I graduated, all my friends graduated with me and I stayed in my college town while I was studying for the MCAT, which by the way, every, I don't know, 40 years, the MCAT changes <laughs> into a new MCAT and that just happened to change at that point. So now I wasn't studying for the same MCAT I was, I, I had just taken that I didn't do so well on. Oh I was God. studying for an entirely new test. They added in a new section, increased it from four hours-ish to eight hours-ish. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just like the universe was like just prodding me with a spear. <laughs> like, come on, you think you can do this? And uh, <laughs> so I really changed the way I studied. I was way more uh, involved in my mental and physical health. I took breaks. I did more active learning. Um, and I just, I, I changed the way that I viewed studying. Yeah. That time, uh, the second time I took it and the final time I took it, I scored a 510 on the MCAT, which is um, maybe like the 75th, 78th percentile, maybe 80th. And uh, all of a sudden that changed everything. Yeah. So I started applying, but things weren't, weren't really coming my way. I got an interview early on. But then it was just, you know, radio silence for months. I needed money. So I started this new app was developed called Uber. And this was <laughs> the very beginning of Uber. Uh, I actually made a lot of money from it because this is when surge prices were really common. Oh, yeah. The market wasn't oversaturated with drivers. There was maybe 30 drivers in my college town. Nice. So I would drive kids around at night after they were at the bar and, uh, <laughs> I had, you know, awesome. people throw out, throw up out my window. Oh my God. I had some crazy things happen to me. At the same time, I was working at a bar. I was working at a restaurant. I really, the, the working at a restaurant was actually a great experience. I, I uh, was able to work in the catering department yeah. and I would cater um, lunches and, and dinners mainly to doctor's offices. Wow. So I'm, I'm a college grad wearing a, like a apron sort of thing, <laughs> driving a, a catering van, one of those big white vans, pull up yep. to a doctor's office, come in, introduce myself to the doctor um, or the, the staff that was there, deliver the food for them, clean it up after them. And it was just so humbling and just so yeah. like, I was like in tears several times driving home saying, yeah. that's what I want my life to be like. And I'm over here delivering food to them, but just stay calm. Like it's going to happen for you. Yeah. Still wasn't really happening. I got like one more interview waitlisted. Now it's Ugh. like seven months into the second cycle. I, I'm just like, I need to, I need to go home. I can't afford to live here anymore. Like I need help. Yeah. So I moved back home with my parents, landed a really cool job uh, doing, I was an ophthalmology assistant, ophthalmologist assistant, like a technician for yeah. an ophthalmology practice in Atlanta. Uh, so I would drive in in the mornings and work with some really awesome ophthalmologists. That was my first really healthcare experience. Yeah. And that's when one or two more interviews started trickling in. I, I was able to get land an interview at Jefferson, which right. I had never even heard of before I applied. That's the thing about applying to med school is when in doubt, apply. I saw Thomas Jefferson University. Hmm. It's the name of a president. It's probably a pretty good school. <laughs> I'll apply. They happen to interview me. Which, Thomas Jefferson is a great school. It is. They have a great PA program too. Yeah, I have a couple of friends that graduated from that PA program. So they interviewed me and uh, I got in like the second to last week that the application cycle was running. At, the, at a certain point, they just say like, okay, yeah, we're done. Like done. Yeah. And I got in. I got the call when I was at work. I went into the bathroom, listened to the call, just started sobbing. But like oh went down on the ground, was just like, oh my God, I did it. <laughs> That's so awesome. So in total, how many did you apply to? I got denied by 25 med schools before okay. I eventually got accepted by one. Um, that's what I always say is, is I got denied by 25. But in reality, I think it was probably more like 29. Um, okay. I think I probably applied to about 29. Uh, I got did not straight denied by 25. A few uh, interviewed me and waitlisted me, but really yeah. in the end, I only got accepted by two schools total over two years. Wow. And how much does that cost? <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of have an idea of how much it costs to apply to PA school, but like, I don't, 
I don't know if it's the same or what. I mean, it's thousands of dollars. Thousands, thousands. thousands. Um, fortunately, my parents were able to help me with that. Fortunately, I got a scholarship to go to University of Georgia. If you live in the state of Georgia and you have above, I believe, a 3.5 GPA and you score above, I believe, a 1,200 on the SAT or blank on the ACT, not sure, you get the HOPE scholarship, which is the most beautiful thing in the world yeah. where if you go to, you are allowed to go to any public school in Georgia tuition free. Wow. It's paid for by the lottery. The lottery, when you buy into the lottery, you pay for the for kids in Georgia to go to the public schools. So you can go to University of Georgia, Georgia Tech, Georgia State, some really good schools, tuition free. So fortunately, my parents were able to help subsidize that cost because I was going tuition free. Uh, But it was thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. I mean, I remember Dave, you know, I, I decided I was working. I actually graduated from college and worked in a lab. Um, you know, doing actually ironically lung cancer research, but it was basic science research. I was in the lab by myself. I met Dave during my time there. Um, and that's kind of a funny story, but um, that's for another podcast. But, but he was applying to medical schools at the same time I was applying to PA schools. And I mean, we lived in one bedroom, like he lived in a, a three bedroom apartment with his two college buddies that the room was so small. All you could fit in there was a bed and a dresser. And if you let like put your arms out, you could touch both (laughs) walls. And like, I was living in an apartment with somebody that I found like randomly on like roommates.com because I couldn't afford to like pay for it myself. And at the same time, I decided I want to go to PA school. I'm like trying to take these classes. I didn't take, I, I had to get certified as a nurse assistant to get patient care experience because my lab you know, didn't really count. And, you know, it, it's crazy. You know, I was working seven to three at the lab, three to 11, um, on an inpatient unit, you know, as a nurse assistant and you, every dollar you make goes back into the application fee and to like pay for rent (laughs) and like your money. So it's expensive. And I think that's sometimes, you know, overlooked in this process because people are like, I got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. So it's crazy. Um, and so since being in medical school, um, mm-hmm. once you've gotten in, what has that experience been like for you so far? It's been, it's hard to even put in words. I mean, going from college to medical school is like going from like high school baseball to the pros overnight. All of a sudden, you're not one of the smartest kids in your class anymore. You're in classes with I remember yeah. in my interview day, I remember on my interview day, I was standing, I was sitting at a table and I'm not going to say specifically what school this was for. I interviewed several schools, but people were going down, introducing themselves. Uh, hi, I'm John. I went to, uh, so you say your name, where you're from, uh, what school you went to and a fun fact about you. And it was just like, I'm John. Uh, I'm, I play lacrosse for Harvard and uh, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'm Teresa. I went to Yale and I did this and it just went down. And I was just like, what? <laughs> so I was like, like, stand proud, Jake. I was like, I'm Jake. I went to University of Georgia. Go dogs. There's like one kid that was like, woo. <laughs> and I was like, Georgia? Uh, so all of a sudden you're in, you get into class with people that were the smartest in their school and they uh, are very impressive. You I had people at the highest level in my classes, one of my best friends in my medical school was a professional ballerina over in, in Europe for 10, 10, 15 years at yeah. the highest level. So the, the, yeah. these are the kind of people you're with. And uh, so all of a sudden I was uh, a small fish in a big pond. Yeah. I had to adapt. I had to learn how to study effectively. I think I was in a state of just straight up shock for like <laughs> four months. I remember uh, grinding my teeth yeah. at night because I was still studying in my, in my dreams. Yeah. And just like, I'd wake up in the morning and be like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) I had to learn how to handle stress on the next level. And eventually, like if you throw me in the jungle, which is essentially what med school is the first couple months, I'm going to get torn to shreds by like saber tooth tigers and like, yeah, Thorns are going to rip me to shreds, but eventually I'm going to get scarred up and I'm going to learn how to fight back and I'm going to be the king of that jungle in a little bit of time. Give me like a year. And so my first year of med school was like being thrown in the jungle and getting just torn to shreds. My second year of med school was like, I know how to study. I know what works for me. And 
the second year, I was able to really pull it together, get good grades, and start to sort of develop myself into the physician I wanted to become. Third year of med school, I um, started in rotations. And at this point, I wanted to be an ophthalmologist because, like I said, in my gap year, I only... Uh, I worked for uh, an ophthalmology office and I worked with a bunch of ophthalmologists. So of course that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. But then I started in rotations and I got to see all these other specialties and that really opened up my mind. Yeah. So um, for PAs, you know, for uh, a lot of people that, you know, follow me, um, PA school is basically like, is the analogy has been like, it's like, trying to drink from a fire hydrant, you know, cause Mm -hmm. you, you get those two years of medical school in one year and it's, but it's important to say what you said. It's like, sometimes it just takes some people a little longer to get their footing, you know, but you will get your footing and the people are there to help you, the faculty and all of that as well. Um, and I remember Dave also like one of his best friends in medical school was like a semi pro baseball player, you know, like that went to yeah. Brown and like was like <laughs> gorgeous. He had a very gorgeous girlfriend and you're like, Hey, oh, I love you. <laughs> um, and, and so like, it's so easy to beat yourself down and be like, look at what everybody else is doing. Just look at what you're doing. Like, just focus on you, put your head down, figure it out, you know, on your own. It's hard to do, but obviously, you know, worth doing and you will find your footing like you, well, like you did. When did you meet your girlfriend? I met Ari the first day of school. We just hit it off immediately. I saw there was like a party very early on, maybe the first day of school that I went to. And she was like standing in the corner. I went to introduce myself to her. And she said, my name is Ari. I was like, oh, cool. This is like when Game of Thrones was like really big. (laughs) So I said something along the lines of Ari, like uh, Arya from Game of Thrones. And she's like, I don't really watch Game of Thrones. (laughs) It was just like, okay, cool. So I could have just let that end, but I was like, where are you from? So we really, really hit it off. We became pretty much best friends from day one. And we actually have a photo of us from like the first week of school when we did our white coat ceremony. Yeah. We actually, I only have a few pictures from that day. And I only have one picture with another medical student and it was her. Oh, wow. we, We have it both in our white coats smiling at the camera yeah. and like that's gonna be in our wedding like yeah, of course photo is, is yeah. epic yeah so when did you like officially start dating sure yeah so we were dating other people when we first met I was in a relationship a uh, long distance relationship um from, with a girl from back from Georgia she was in a relationship with a guy from Italy um Ari is half Italian half German Wow. So she spent a lot of her life in Italy. Her, pa- her grandparents live in Italy. And so she um, was dating a guy from Italy. We both were in long distance relationships. And the thing about medical school, uh, relationships crashed and burned. Yeah. And so we were kind of bonded the fact that like our relationships with our significant others had not yet crashed and burned. <laughs> I, it just, it, when you get into med school, just to give you an idea of uh, like my friend group in med school of like, uh, 12-ish people like that we bonded very early on uh I went to one of their weddings two of them met that day got married and got married like six months ago I just went to one of their weddings there's two weddings I'm about to go to assuming this coronavirus situation improves uh and they're they're getting married in next month people just like meet each other bond and it's like nothing like I've ever seen (laughs) but we really bonded that we we had a long distance relationship it was really hard but we just became best friends and stayed best friends all throughout first year, all throughout second year. We played on the same soccer team. Mm-hmm. We went out, we, we always went out to bars together with our friends and uh, right. we were just best friends. Um, during my second year of medical school, my relationship ended. I was single. We were still best friends uh, doing everything together. And we studied for the boards, the step one board exam. We studied for the boards together, which yeah. the step one board exam is probably the hardest time in any med student's yes. life. Yes. Yes. Brutal. I'm sure from Dave, you yeah. can attest to that. So we spent uh, every second together during yeah. that hard, hard time. So we just bonded like incredibly. We were best friends before that, but this like cemented our friendship forever. And we just survived it together. 
uh, after the boards, uh, her relationship ended. So all of a sudden we're two single best friends, yeah. uh, spending every second with each other. <laughs> and I liked her. Yeah. Oh, it, it developed in me. I wouldn't allow myself to like her when she had a boyfriend because I'm not yeah. going to do that. But uh, I started to really like her. But I was still going on dates and stuff from yeah. you know these online apps. And I was just like, I just had a moment. I was a total epiphany. <laughs> so I was on a... <laughs> I was on a date. You're like, I met this girl on Tinder, but I really like this other girl. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm remember kidding. this. No, you good. I remember that I was on a date and I didn't know that I liked her. And but I was on a date with this other girl and did she really not know? She had to know. No, we talked about it. She Ari's uh a genius. She'll She's be my next guest. Yeah, you'd love to speak with her. She's trilingual. She speaks Spanish, German, and English, and now she's learning uh, Spanish. She's the smartest woman I've ever met in my entire life. She is a beast, the best athlete I've ever seen. She is across the board a genius, but yeah. she's not quick with getting stuff like that I like her. Okay. So I'll explain when I told her in a second, but uh, I was on a date with a girl, and she kind of hinted that she was like a flat earther. Oh, what does that mean? A flat earther, like she believes the earth is flat. Oh my God, I've never heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And, uh, the I girl just, told you she yeah. thinks the earth is flat? Yeah, she believes the earth is flat. Wow. And okay. I was like, I was on a date, like we were in the park and I just, my brain just like short circuited. <laughs> like, I, I was just like, you know what? Like, I would rather, this is in my head. I was like, I would rather go hang out with, my best friend who may not ever see me as anything more than that and spend my day doing that and maybe never have a chance yeah. than to spend one more second <laughs> with you. And so I got up and left, called up Ari. I was like, what are you doing? And started hanging out with her. Yeah. So then uh, I started, we started hanging out more and more and I was like, I really like this girl. And uh, so I met with my best girlfriend named Hannah mm -hmm. and told Hannah dude, I've got big news. I think I like Ari. Like, <laughs> I actually like her. And she was super excited. And she's like, how are you going to tell her? So I was like, here's what I'm going to do. And I had like written in my phone, what, like how I was going to tell her. Yeah. And uh, let's just say she, Hannah helped me out a lot with Good. the editing process. My default is to like sell. I'm like, for the following reasons, we would be great <laughs> together. We both love soccer. We both <laughs> both study <laughs> we just, oh I just had this thing and so she Hannah is um super vulnerable person and she really yeah. helped me she was like you need to, need to speak from the heart with this yeah so I took this was like weeks in the making I like edited edited really like you're so prepared even for this today I was this so was unprepared <laughs> no 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 this I love telling this story because I've only told this story to probably like four or five people but it's powerful because yeah this is this was the most important conversation I probably have ever had and will ever have in my entire life yeah. imagine telling your best friend of years that you yeah. like her right and so if anyone else Ooh, listening is, so has excited. had that experience it's <sighs> it's it was the most nervous I ever was in my entire life so then I got one more friend of mine uh I, I, I met a friend of mine Caroline for lunch and she was like why are you acting weird I'm like I'm not <laughs> she's like tell me what's going on and so I was like damn it so I told her what was going on and she helped me a little bit more, um, kind of guide me like, what do you want to say to her? What do you like about her? And so then one day I was like, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. And so uh, that day I had off from school and I woke up early and straight up memorized my speech. Oh my God. Memorized it. Like <laughs> I, re I read it for like six hours. And then uh, I was like, we were supposed to watch this show Atlanta by yeah. Donald Glover. Uh, we watched the show Atlanta at night and like I went to a place and the show ended. My heart was like, <laughs> I was like having like palpitations, like sweating. I was like, can I talk to you about something? <laughs> and told her everything and then ended it with, um, look, how we proceed from here is completely up to you. If you right. want to go back to being just completely friends, I totally understand. Um, I just had to tell you how I felt. And then 
She didn't talk to me for five days. What? No. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Let me, let me edit that. Let me edit that. She talked to me, but not about our conversation. Okay. Cause she had to process it. <laughs> and which I get, I get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am just going crazy for five days. Like I call my friend Hannah, like the one that helped me. Yeah. Right? And I was like, it's over. I screwed up. It's done. The whole thing's done. I ruined the whole relationship. It's done. Like, I'm never seeing her again. I was just so in my head about it. Uh, and then five days later, she came to my house. She was like, I, I really gave it a lot of thought. And I, I think uh, I think we should give it a shot. Let's do this. Wow. That's amazing. But that, that, that story was crazy. Oh my God. That's right. I mean, First of all, it just speaks so much to your personality and how you are like so prepared and like, you know, you're just like, this is how I'm going to do it. Like, I am so the opposite of that. Like, I just like speak everything and I'm just, I don't write anything down like ever. Um, but I love that you guys are, are so different, you know, in some ways, cause that, that's how different Dave and I are <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're now doing long distance which is a little bit challenging, which is what I did with Dave for three years. Mm -hmm. um, and so can you tell people just a little bit about how you guys are managing that? Because you're getting your MBA in Georgia. She's back in Philly. How have you been managing that? Over sure. The last so, I mean, when I talked to her about how I felt, we were in our third year of medical school. And the way it works in medical school is if you are dating – you will couples match. If you're really serious, you will couples match, which means right. you basically tie your applications together, interview for residency, and go to residency together. Right. Now, I told her how I felt right before I left to go to Georgia. Right. So the situation was like, well, are we going to couples match? Are we? Because <laughs> this is pretty much like, that's why this conversation was so important because it's like, if you agree and we want to start dating and we couples match, like, we're getting married. Like, this is it. Like, yeah, like you're, so like, you're in it. Like, you're in it. Yeah. And uh, so I went to, I went to Georgia uh, to get my MBA. She, she, we, we started dating. Things were a little bit awkward at first, as you could imagine any, any yeah. best friend start trying. There's, it's, it's a, it's a different, um, it's different to transition into boyfriend, girlfriend yeah. from best friends. We didn't even touch each other before. <laughs> so there's a, that's the, probably a topic for another podcast as far as like becoming more comfortable with your best, you know, yeah. but, um, I went to Georgia to get my MBA. She stayed at Jefferson to get her MPH. And we went from being in long distance relationships in the beginning of med school, uh, to being together for a good solid, like eight months, maybe, yeah. um, to now being long distance with each other. Right. So we learned from the mistakes that we made in previous relationships, what didn't work and what did work. I am not a phone guy. Mm. I actually get anxiety talking on the phone with people. Yet yeah. I can make a TikTok video that gets a million views and not sweat at all. But for some reason, I just don't like talking on the phone. Get, like the way that I like FaceTime is fine. Yeah. I like to watch the other person to see like how the conversation is going. When I can't see the other person, I freak out on the phone. <laughs> So I told her like, well, I'm not really a phone guy. I don't really know, you know, how much you want to talk on the phone. And she was like, pretty much like, well, you're going to be a phone guy. Yes. We're going we're, we're gonna to FaceTime. And I was like, okay. Like, so I thought it'd be like twice a week sort of thing, but all of a sudden oh it was God. every night. And that was actually like some of the best part of, I would look forward to that FaceTime call all day. Yeah. And so that was huge. We had, we made a time to FaceTime every single night for whether it was five minutes or an hour. So we saw each other every single day, talked about each other's days. Otherwise things would just go, days would go by and we wouldn't have updates with each other. So that yeah. was critical. It's just, yeah. So it's time. so funny. Cause Dave, not a phone guy, like not really? a phone guy. And at that time we didn't have like FaceTime. Like we didn't have video. Oh, wow. I mean, this was an, Oh, you know, 2003, <laughs> you know, I mean, this was a good 17 years ago. Like we yeah. did not have that. Um, we had no, and so that's, what's so brilliant about this technology is that you can see each other. You can do that. We drove back and forth from Connecticut to Albany, New York, um, every weekend or every other weekend for three years. And, you know, it's, it's challenging and it was challenging then, but again, you have to make the, first of all, 
we always made the most of our time when we were together. So like Mm -hmm. making the most of your time. But I was like, if you're going to do this, like we need, you need to talk on the phone. And he got much better, you know, over time. Um, And we would talk obviously every day and, um, and that kind of thing. But you're right. If you don't do that and you don't set the time for each other, you will just go through your day, go through your day. And then all of a sudden you're like (laughs) kind of separating from each Mm other um, in, in not a good way. And so I think like you and Ari, Dave and I were very good friends beforehand. And that is huge because I know him. I know how he works. Like I knew he wasn't a phone guy. I was like, you're going to have to figure this out. Cause <laughs> like I took the Greyhound bus to Albany <laughs> to see you. Okay, brother. So, yeah. I mean, so you work it out. I mean, but again, to like scheduling actual physical time together too, which you guys just did. Um, like when you're, you know, just making sure that you're seeing each other and all of that. So, but the other thing that helped us too, is that we were both in the same process. He was in medical school. I was in PA school. Like Mm. we understood, you know, and then when Mm -hmm. we were together, if we had to study, like we got it. And like, that's why our marriage works now too, because I get it, even though I don't like it a lot (laughs) of the time. Um, but I do get it. Um, and I think that's probably going to help you guys too. Um, And uh, I got a lot of questions from people about, you know, how to stay committed. And I just think it's being absolutely brutally honest, you know, with your partner. And if they're not doing something like you don't have the time in a long distance relationship to be like, I'm not going to talk to you for a few days. Like you don't have time for that. You need to be honest, open lines of communication, what's working for you, what's not working for you, you know, and say your feelings, which you know, I was not very good at back then, but like, you know, we've both gotten a lot better at that. Um, because Mm -hmm. there's, there's little opportunity to do that when you're not seeing each other. So, um, so to just do those things, I think is super important, um, to make your, to make your relationship successful when you're both in school, or even if you're, if you're not, um, so, you know, just daily check-ins and being Mm -hmm. open and honest, I think is super important. Um, and, the couples matches the real deal. So I, I beg to differ that that conversation will be as hard as your proposal, but we will talk about that later because <laughs> it will take you like six months to prepare for the perfect proposal. <laughs> Michelle, let's just say that I've already prepared. Of course you have. Well, I mean, I, I've never met someone more prepared. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, I couldn't even barely get on this podcast this morning. Um, <laughs> So last thing I want to talk about really quickly, um, in the, in the midst of COVID, Mm -hmm. how do you feel about medical schools now allowing or asking fourth year medical students to graduate early and get into the workforce? I'm a little torn on this. I mean, you posted about this on Instagram. If you guys didn't see that, go to at destination med school on Instagram. Um, and there was a lot of people like, this is a terrible idea. And then there were some people like, this is great. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is something that I, I actually predicted that this would happen because I saw what was happening in Italy. They were pulling over retired physicians, retired nurses, and asking them to come back into practice because there was such a shortage of healthcare workers. I thought, if they're pulling in retired physicians, I bet you they're going to pull up fourth-year medical students that are already matched into, into their residency, uh, going to start their, their internship in a few months anyway, probably the best for the job uh, rather than, than just train someone off the streets. So like those people that are in the last semester of nursing school, last semester of PA school, last semester of med school, if you need 10,000 healthcare workers overnight, that's, that's them right there. Yeah. And so I, I kind of predicted that this would happen. I'm surprised that it, that it has happened and now seems to be trickling. Not only has NYU done it, but uh, Einstein has done it as well, as yeah. well as Boston. I think Boston University, I need to check on that, but they also did it yesterday. Right. Here's my feelings on it. I'm split because uh, one part of me is like, this is a once in a lifetime experience that, um, that medical students need to be, need to see, need to be a part of. And, um, we are we are ready to go we there's a lot of training that goes into intern year and i'm not saying that we are prepared for this but we may be the best prepared 
for the situation. And uh, so the part of me is like, is like, let's do this. And when I say let's, it wouldn't even be me because I'm a rising fourth year. It would be uh, my friends that had just matched. Now, the way that NYU is doing it is they are, from what, I, from what I've seen and what I've read, they're actually paying the, their students. They're graduating them, basically starting their internship year early, paying them a resident salary, uh, paying, um, so these students are no longer students. They're interns, right. they're residents, they're getting paid for what they do. Uh, that I think is a, is a solid proposition. And if I was in the NYU student's shoes, I, I think I would do it. I think so I'd say. do you feel like, like, I don't know, I guess, do you feel your friends are like ready for that? I mean, do you feel like they're prepared and ready to do that? And the only reason I say that is because, um, you know, going out into the workforce and having interns and, and students and all those people, like for me, like for me and for Dave, who he trains, you know, residents and stuff all the time. Is that going to be harder because you're like, okay, well now I have to train these people up mm-hmm. to be, to be ready and, you know, on the ground running during this really hard, hard time. Um, is that going to take up time and resources? On the other hand, you know, I'm, Dave brought up a good point yesterday that to cross train physicians that already practice in another area is also challenging. Um, so like if you have a pediatric gastroenterologist and you're going to cross train them to do ventilator settings, is that easier than just doing an intern? I don't know. Like that, that's the hard thing, but I do think that we need healthcare workers. And so what is the best choice is, is taking fourth year medical students that may not be ready and kind of forcing them to be ready. Um, a good thing. I don't know, but what other options are there? You know, right. Like to answer your question. No, I don't think that they are ready. Yeah. I don't think they're ready. I don't think the, uh, plastic surgeon, the cosmetic plastic surgeon is also ready to go into the ER. I don't think anyone is ready for this. I, I also, uh, the ER docs that have been seeing that have been in practice for 20 years are, yeah. I see them posting on Instagram and TikTok and saying like, I'm not even ready for this. And I've been here for 20 years. This is unprecedented times. I do not think that a medical school should require any students to, to go. I yeah. think the way that NYU did it, giving them an option to go is, is, right. is the best uh, method. There will be a learning curve. Is this the best time for a learning curve? No. But if we need healthcare workers and we need them now, um, I think it's worth doing instead of asking these current healthcare workers to continue doing 16-hour shifts. It's just not sustainable. So I do think that schools should give the option. However, there are schools, um, I believe that Einstein did this, that asked their fourth-year med students, maybe not even asked, but required their fourth-year med students to go back into the hospital. They are not paying them. They are treating them as if they are medical students, which they are, but uh, yeah. I don't believe that that's the right thing to do. I think um, if you are going to send these people on the front lines, yeah, they should be, they should be making a, a salary. Uh, yeah. They're going to be risking their lives if, if there's a shortage of shields, of, of masks. Right. If this is as dire as, as it is, um, you need to treat these students with the respect that they deserve. Yeah. I, and I agree with that. I, you know, it's, it's hard for PA students who have been pulled off rotations. I, you know, cause they, some of them just started, some of them are in the midst of it. Um, I think that are, are there a group of PA students you could graduate early? Yeah. I think, um, it's cause all the schools are on a little bit of a different timeline. So mm-hmm. I feel like you could graduate some of the PA students early if they met the requirements for graduation. Um, I think they would be ready to sort of go in, but then again, the ones that just started wouldn't be. So I don't know that that's really a, a viable option. Um, but I guess we will, we will see, you know, as sort of time progresses. Um, and we've now eclipsed, Italy and China. And so, um, you know, we'll see what, what happens. Um, but it's, it's a very interesting time and people have very strong opinions either way. And I think, you know, 
in, in your third year, you start rotations, correct? So in your fourth right. year, you're still on rotations, right? So it's not like you've had no clinical experience. Um, oh, it's yeah. just that you're starting your intern year a little bit early. Um, and I think, you know, in some ways that's very reasonable to do when you're, when you need healthcare workers. But I do agree with you that if you're going to start their intern year early, you should probably pay them and you should definitely give them some kind of insurance um, because otherwise it's a little scary. Um, the whole thing is scary. Let's be real. Um, I'm, I'm terrified for Dave to go to work on Monday. Um, I have to go back on Tuesday. I, you know, we'll see, we'll see how things kind of shake out. But I mean, it's, it's like, he's not coming home in those clothes. He's not like, you know, I mean, we have a five-year-old, uh, you know, so I had to hire oh, yeah. help. I mean, it's just crazy. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, we know what our jobs are and we want to help um, and we want to take care of our people as best we can and take care of ourselves. So it's interesting. It'll, it'll be crazy to see how it unfolds. Agreed. Unprecedented times. Um, I want to thank you so much for being here today. We've covered so much this hour um, yeah. and there are so many things that we could elaborate on more. So if you guys um, have more topics that you want to see from us, go ahead and review this podcast, leave a comment, follow Jake um, at Destination Med School. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. He has IGTVs, TikToks, like you name it, we have it. Um, lots of resources for you guys, but um, I'm hoping to bring you more reality as we, uh, as we go through this podcast over the next couple of months. So hopefully you'll stay with me and um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle.